Well, it's a little different today, wouldn't you say? It, it looks a little different. Uh, everything just looks uh, not like it usually does. And I'm super excited to be able to continue in this series, Live Like You're Dying. And I want to ask this question to you. What is so special about heaven? What is so special about heaven? I want you to think about that question. And I want to share something with you that might change the way that you experience today's message. Now, a little note about today's message. Today's message is going to be the worst message you have ever heard. That's right, you heard me. Today's message will be the worst message that you have ever heard. And it's not because of our different circumstances that we find ourselves in today, not in the worship center, but out here on the patio, but always online, of course. But today's message will surely be the worst message that you've ever heard. Now, if you're maybe tuning in to church or maybe this church, uh, and this is the very first message that you have ever heard in your entire life, there's no question that today will not only be the worst message that you've heard, it might actually be the best message you've ever heard, and it'll probably be even the most mediocre message that you've heard today. But if you've heard a sermon today, or if you've heard a sermon before, and you've evaluated that, you're recognizing that me telling you that this message is going to be the worst message that you've ever heard you're not going to let me inform that decision for you. Why? Because you've experienced other messages. You might be thinking, boy, I have heard way worse messages before. Like, hey, Pastor Craig, remember that message you preached a couple months ago? That one. No, I mean, maybe it was. But the reality is because you've had an experience with other sermons and other messages before, you have this ability to compare something. And today we're talking about heaven. Now, I could sit here and tell you all day long how amazing heaven is. You could maybe sit there and tell me how amazing heaven is, but the reality is none of us has actually ever experienced heaven before. None of us have. We can read scripture. We can understand different kinds of examples. In fact, I got a fun one that I can't wait to show you in just a little bit. But none of us could actually begin to describe how amazing heaven truly is because none of us have actually been there. And I think because of that, we often shy away from wanting to talk openly about heaven. Think about this. When is the last time that you have actually talked about heaven? And not just like, boy, I can't wait to get there because life is brutal and the world that we live in is so tough. Or maybe you said, oh, for heaven's sake. Maybe you said something... You might have mentioned the word heaven, but when was the last time that you really talked about it with somebody? I believe this. Our lack of understanding when it comes to heaven often inhibits our excitement for it. What can you tell me about heaven? I bet your list would maybe be like this. Well, God lives there, and Jesus hangs out there too, and I'm pretty sure there's angels, and I'm fairly certain I'm going there, I think. I think the streets are made of gold and not of cheese, like American Tale said in its movie, that's a joke for all the millennials out there, and we're probably just going to worship all day long, I guess, and I don't know, maybe, maybe I'll get bored. Maybe. And all of a sudden, we begin to think about some of these things that, I'm going to speak to the Christians for just a second, we might say, am I allowed to even suggest that I might get bored there? That we, we're just going to do the same thing on repeat? all day long? 
Somebody once said this, asked Christians over and over these two questions, do you want to go to heaven? To which Christians respond with, yes, but do you want to go today? Most people would say, no. And what does that tell us about our understanding of heaven? Because I truly believe that if we understood heaven even just a little bit more in its depth, And the reality of the kind of place that it will be and what will be there and even what won't be there, we would begin to grow in our excitement. A famous science fiction writer by the name of Isaac Asimov once said this, I don't believe in an afterlife, so I don't have to spend my whole life fearing hell or fearing heaven. Even more for whatever the tortures of hell may be, I think the boredom of heaven would actually be worse. Think about that. That he would rather endure the tortures of hell than be bored in heaven. You see, as a people, I believe that we are uninformed. But I also believe that there's hope. And I want to encourage you to stick with us the next three weeks because we're going to fast forward and be able to dive into some crucial information. Next week, Pastor Chuck is going to be talking about the five most commonly asked questions about heaven. I can't wait for you guys to hear these questions and to hear Pastor Chuck go to scripture and us be able to answer some of these questions with definitive answers. And of course, two weeks from today, we get to hear from Lee Strobel. He recently wrote a book called The Case for Heaven, and it is a powerful, powerful book. And he has done incredible, incredible research. So not only will it be today, next week, and the week after that, but I want to encourage you that you will be able to walk out of here at the end of this series, Live Like You're Dying, and you will actually be equipped to handle conversations with somebody about what heaven will be like and even talk about what it won't be like. You see, you may believe that there is a literal heaven and hell and that they are real places, which they are, and that they are eternal landing places for our souls, which they are, but you may not be properly equipped to talk about heaven because you aren't 100% sure what the experience will be like. In fact, some of the writers in the Bible, including Paul, didn't even have words for this. Look at 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, verses 2 through 4. He talks about this. He says, I was caught up in the third heaven 14 years ago, whether I was in my body or out of my body, I don't know. Only God knows. Yes, only God knows whether I was in my body or outside of my body, but I do know that I was caught up to paradise and heard things so astounding that they cannot be expressed in words, things no human is allowed to even tell. I get it. Sometimes words don't do justice for certain experiences. I could sit here and tell you how beautiful Hawaii is, but until you go and experience it, you'll never be able to understand that for your own. And so when Paul writes this, along with other writers, we see David talk about this. We'll look at Revelation here in a little bit. We'll understand that the things that are being talked about, man, there are just no words that could do it justice. But I want to call back to something in that verse, because I know you might be thinking like, whoa, whoa, whoa. There's something in that verse I'm hung up on. we got to go back to it. Well, let's go. You see, Paul actually says something in there where he says, a third heaven. What does that mean? Well, what's interesting is Paul's readers in a Jewish world would have understood this completely when he talks about a third heaven, that he was caught up in this third heaven 
heaven. When scripture talks about three heavens, everybody reading this at that time would have understood exactly what he was talking about. The understanding goes like this, is that the first heaven is the air that we breathe, the environments that we live in, the surroundings in our lives here on earth, physical places, the air that we breathe, that would be the first heaven. The second heaven would actually be the universe, outer space, the cosmos. And then the third heaven would actually be the heaven that you and I know. It would be this. It would be God's eternal dwelling place, a place where our souls could end up being, uh, being at one day based on what kinds of decisions you make about who God is and what he did through his son Jesus. But don't confuse, caveat, don't confuse heaven with different kinds of levels of heaven as other religions might actually promote. The first and second heavens, the surroundings, the air, the universe, the planets, all of those will pass away. All of those will pass away. God will be making all things new, a new heaven and a new earth. And so please understand that, that when we talk about this third heaven, this is God's dwelling place where we will be with him one day. The word heaven actually shows up 276 times in the New Testament alone. And we actually know some specs about heaven. We actually know a couple of things. Look at Revelation chapter 21, verses 15 through 17. It says this, The one who spoke with me had a gold measuring rod to measure the city and its gates and its wall. The city is laid out as a square, and its length is as great as the width. And he measured the city with the rod 1,500 miles. Its length and width and height are equal. And he measured its wall 72 yards thick according to human measurements, which are also angelic measurements. 1,500 miles long, 1,500 miles wide, and 1,500 miles high. We're talking about the new Jerusalem. We're talking about the new city that when God said there will be a new heaven and a new earth, there will be a new city that we will one day dwell on in his new heavens, new earth. Now, to help understand a little bit about what this would look like, um, I want to show you something uh, that's kind of cool. I want you to look at this for a second. This is a globe right here, right? You guys familiar with this? Right? You ever do like a fun game where you like spin it and then you just like pick a spot and you got like name the country? Uh, okay, maybe I'm just a history nerd or whatever. So anyways, this is what this would look like if you were to, uh, to, to ratio this out right here, just like that. This would be what would considerably be a 1,500-mile, certainly not to scale, 1,500-mile uh, wide, 1,500-mile uh, length, and then 1,500 miles high. This is currently sitting on top of a part of the United States of America on this globe right here. And this is how big this would look. To give you a little bit of context, the 1,500 miles high, if you were just to incorporate that in the height of a building, take a standard office building where a story would be about 12 feet in between, right? You got like a 10-story building, 12 feet, you, know, or, uh, you got about 120 feet right there, right? That's about how that would go. This is how tall this is going to be. You ready for this? At 12 feet per floor, per story, 1,500 miles high, you're looking at a building that would be 600,000 stories high. 
That's what we're looking at when we're talking about the glory and majesty of heaven. You can't comprehend that. It is so tall that if you stood a mile away from this, from this build, from this city, from this building right here, you would not be able to see the top of it. You wouldn't be able to distinguish it. In fact, even from 10 miles away, you may not be able to even see the very top of it. That's how incredibly high and tall this is. This, we're getting into things now that we can't even wrap our minds around. The cubic feet, because this would be a cube, the cubic feet of this would be 3,375,000,000 cubic feet. I hear this question a lot. Well, won't heaven get like crowded? Are you kidding me? 12 story, 12 foot stories, 600,000 stories. We got plenty of rooms. In fact, Jesus said that he's going to prepare a place for us. And so I love that this idea is what we could look at and what we could expect about what John actually saw in Revelation when he described that. So that's a little bit of an understanding, a little bit of a prop right there. I love that. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 4, it says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And then verse 4, it says, To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. There's a word in there that I bet you've heard in Scripture if you've been around uh, church uh, for any length of time. And it's this word inheritance. It's this word inheritance. Our inheritance is, in short, it's heaven. That's our inheritance. That's what we get to step into. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 15, it says this. That is why he, Jesus, is the one who mediates a new covenant between God and people so that all who are called can receive the eternal inheritance God has promised them. For Christ died to set them free from the penalty of the sins they had committed under that first covenant. He's talking about that Jesus will enable us to experience this inheritance that God has promised for us. You see, we, you and I, we become heirs, stepping into an inheritance, an eternity with God, if we believe what Jesus did on the cross and subsequently uh, dying on that cross, raising from the dead, dying and paying the price for all of mankind's sin, a debt that nobody could pay. And what's the result? What's the result of all of that? Well, Romans chapter 8, verses 16 and 17 says this, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we uh, are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs of, uh, of co-heirs with Christ if we indeed share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in the glory. If you were to jump over to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2, it would actually say that Jesus was appointed by God as the heir of all things. And then if you look at that Romans verse, it says that we are co-heirs with Christ, which simply means this. In sharing in his sufferings, we will also share in his inheritance. What belongs to Jesus will one day belong to us as children of God, namely, eternity with God Almighty. 
Now, the thing that I love about this first Peter passage, I know I've covered a couple of them. The thing I love about this passage is it doesn't actually describe what heaven will be like. It actually says what heaven will not be like. It It actually shows what will be absent from heaven, which I think as human beings with finite minds, what heaven will not include is so much of what we see happening on this earth today. Go back to 1 Peter, uh, verses 3 through 4, uh, uh, verse 4 right here. It says this, an inheritance that is, you ready for it? We talked about inheritance. Here's the inheritance. It's heaven. And what will this look like? It will be imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. So what's so special about heaven? What is so incredibly special about heaven? What are the things that we can talk about? Well, I want to point three things out to you today that we pull out right from this passage from 1 Peter. The first one is this. Number one, heaven is imperishable. It is imperishable. This Greek word for the word imperishable is aphthartos, which means uncorrupted, not liable to corruption or decay. To perish, you know this, means to decay or to pass away. To decay uh, is to, is to uh, uh, gradually be able to erode, that it is, it is slowly, slowly dying. And yet heaven and everything in it will be imperishable. Now, I don't have to convince you that we live in a pretty corrupt world. I don't have to convince anybody of that here today. Imagine an existence where everybody, this is going to be what, you're not going to be able to wrap your mind around what I'm about to say. Imagine an existence where everybody believed the best in everybody else, hoped the best in everybody else, and understood the best in everybody else. You and I can't, we can't imagine that. There will be no ill will. There will be no suffering. There will be no hatred in heaven. Heaven is imperishable. There will be complete trust there. The thing I love about Peter writing about this is Peter's purpose here is not to add to the list of joys, but to assure assure us that the joys that we will experience in heaven, that they will never decay. That those things will never die. What's a joy in your life? What's a joy in your life? When I got into youth ministry, one of the things that was such a reprieve for me at the end of every single night being totally exhausted was I would come home and you know what I would dive into? Not a shower, not my bed. I'd go to the pantry and I'd pull out a box of cereal and I would go ham on several bowls. Not one, sometimes not two, I usually cut it off at three if I'm being honest with you. I could maybe do four. But nothing would fuel me. Nothing brought joy in that moment quite like cereal did. So I'd go to the cabinet and I'd open it up. And if you're like me, your favorite cereal is Cocoa Pebbles. That's the best of all the chocolate cereals, by the way. Cocoa Puffs will destroy the roof of your mouth. Cocoa Krispies, not quite enough chocolate in there. But if you get Cocoa Pebbles, it's a two-for-one deal, right? It's a bargain. And the bargain is you eat the cereal and then you get the chocolate milk after and it's amazing. And so I'd pour a huge bowl. I could go through a box in about a night, no problem. And then I'd go over to the fridge and I'd open it up and I'd pull out the milk and I would look at it and my heart would sink because I would see the date on the side of the milk carton. And I was like, oh no, this expired. And I'd be like, that's oh, probably okay. And then I would twist off the top and I'd take a whiff. Whew, can't do it. 
I can't tell you the number of times that I ran out to the grocery store at 11.30 at night just for that milk. Could you imagine being in heaven and not have to leave the room that Jesus has prepared for you to go to the store and get milk? You see, nothing will perish in heaven. Nothing will decay. And everything in it will last forever. Jesus actually points to this and offers a challenge to you and I. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 and 20 says this, Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. What's Jesus' challenge here? It's this. He's asking this question. Are you living with eternity in mind? Are you investing in the things on this earth that will matter for eternity, namely virtues such as wisdom and patience and understanding and being gracious with people and being willing to extend forgiveness to people? Because it's these kinds of things that we will live immersed in in heaven. These are the kinds of things. Or are we investing in all the wrong kinds of things? And there's a couple of different ways that we could assess that. We could look at the time that we spend in certain things. One of my favorite things is one of my buddies, we, uh, we, we, send, uh, we send screenshots of our screen time weekly to each other. And it's a little bit of a competition. And the whole idea is this, am I investing my time into what matters? And some weeks I'm looking at my screen time and I'm like, I spent that much time on social media. I spent that much time watching Netflix and then I got to scroll, and sometimes I find my Bible app on there, and I'm like, wow, it's embarrassing, because sometimes I recognize that the things that I'm invested into in this earth, these things aren't going to matter. Your bank account is another incredible example of, are you willing to invest in eternity? Are you willing to understand that the things that we invest in here on earth, it matters? That's why God talks so much. We see the scripture covered talking about money, because Jesus cares about that. Jesus cares about the condition of your heart, recognizing that everything on this earth will pass away. There will be things in heaven that will not pass away. Are you invested in the right thing? Are you living with eternity in mind? You see, there's a real bargain that's incorporated in this whole idea of heaven being imperishable, and it's this. Our perishable lives, fully surrendered to Jesus on earth, will result in an imperishable eternity with Jesus in heaven. Folks, that's a bargain. That is a bargain right there, that if we're willing to commit a perishable life to God and recognize our need for him, our souls get to, an experience, get to experience an imperishable eternity. Heaven is imperishable. Number two, the second thing Peter talks about is that heaven is undefiled. Heaven is undefiled. To defile something is to ruin something or to make it dirty. Several years ago during one of our Christmas shows, uh, as if you've been uh, around uh, one or maybe you want to go and you want to check out one online and go see what those are like, we have aerialists. We've had aerialists in the past. And so they have these massive silks that get thrown from the catwalk into the worship center. And what happens is, is these aerialists, they will climb up these uh, silks and they will do all these incredible routines that I know if you're like me, you're like, wow, how do they do that? And maybe if you're kind of prideful like me sometimes. I'm like, I could do that. And so all of a sudden, you're watching some of this happen. And at one of the shows, one of our incredibly gifted worship pastors, who was an intern at the time, Pastor John Allen. Y'all know John. We all love John, right? He's up in the catwalk, and he decided, you know what? It's snack time. I'm kind of hungry. So what he had up there was he had a big old plate of French fries. And if you know John, he can't just eat the french fries by themselves. He's got to have something to dip them in. So he had a big old plate of ketchup. 
And so all of a sudden, the aerialists are done. And so they're done. And so everybody up in that catwalk, they're pulling up the silks. And all of a sudden, John is pulling up this silk, and he's pulling it up, and he's pulling it up. And as he's pulling it up, he doesn't realize that the silk is landing in the plate of ketchup on the catwalk with him. And so he turns around and he freaks out and he's got water up there and he's literally pouring water on this, trying to get this thing out because in just a few moments, that silk is going to have to be dropped back down from the catwalk. And it's going to look like it was a murder scene, like there's blood all over. What happened? Nobody wants that kind of experience in a Christmas show. You see, that silk was defiled. That silk had undergone a transformation that not even a little bit of water or maybe even club soda in that moment could undo. But the whole point is this. Heaven and everything in it, including you and I, will be undefiled. You see, the problem is is sin actually defiles you and I. And it ruined and continues to ruin God's perfect plan for creation which is why there was a need for a savior. You see, this world has been ruined because of you and I and because of our sin. But what's beautiful is this, not so in heaven. In Revelation chapter 21, uh, verse 27, in the message translation, it says this, nothing dirty or defiled will get into the city. I talked about that, right? 1,500, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about heaven. And no one who defiles or deceives, none of that will be permissible, will be permitted into heaven. Only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life will get in. Heaven is imperishable and heaven is undefiled. And then number three, it's this, heaven is unfading. Heaven is unfading. This word right here, unfading, comes from a Greek term that would be used uh, to speak about the beauty of flowers. That's what it would look like. Flowers are beautiful, right? Just a couple days ago, this past Tuesday, my wife and I celebrated 13 years of marriage. That's right, I'll let the applause settle amongst you guys. 13 years of marriage, which was applause to her putting up with me for that long. And so one of the things that I got her was I got her flowers. And it doesn't matter how much time and energy and effort I put into caring for those flowers. Because when I got home, I'm no florist, but I've watched YouTube videos. I took the stems and I cut them at a little bit of an angle. And I took the little uh, amount of like, what is that, the flower food or whatever that gets wrapped around the stems of that. And I pull it out and I get the vase and I pour it in there and I get the water and I put the flowers in. And then I heard that you have to change the water every single day to preserve the flowers. And I can... Stand before you as God is my witness that the flowers that I bought her on Tuesday do not look like what they, uh, the flowers looking like uh, today do not look like what they look like on Tuesday. The flowers sitting in that vase, they've wilted. They have undergone a transformation, but not for the better. They are beginning to fade. You see, even the most stunning and beautiful creations on this earth won't last And they have flaws if you actually look closely at them because we live in an imperfect and fading world because all of this will pass away. But again, not so with heaven. In Revelation chapter 21, verse 5, it says, And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, Write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. Have you ever thought about different seasons of your life? 
Have you ever thought about a a job that you had one time or a friendship that you had one time or a vacation that you had one time and you think about some of the best moments or best seasons of your life? Maybe a great season of friendship. For my wife and I, when it comes to our kids, we are, my wife loves our kids, and I love our kids. But if my wife could live in an unending, perpetual, unfading season with kids, you know what season it would be? Babies. She loves the babies. That would not be my choice of a best season with children in my life. I'm loving the season we're in right now. They're 10 and 7. I'm loving getting to do things with them. It is so incredibly Fun, But imagine that favorite season unending. Imagine that season never actually fading away. Constant enjoyment. Every uh, favorite season of every aspect of your life on repeat in heaven. Imagine that. Heaven is unfading. Which kind of begs this question. I mean, the vacation was fun. I mean, raising the kids in that season was fun. That job was fun. Those friendships were fun. The things I got to, it was fun. But I'm going to be honest with you, won't I get a little bored? Won't there be moments where I'm like, I, I can't, I can't, I don't know if I could keep doing this. You see, I want to call back to something because something really important to remember is that our minds, the way that God has created them, are completely finite, We can't even begin to imagine what an infinite God and an omniscient, all-knowing God is actually like and what it would be like to live in eternity with that. You see, as things begin to fade, we often become disinterested. I'll never forget flying to China on a missions trip uh, back when I was in college uh, in the mid-2000s. And um, and as we were flying over there, uh, it was the middle of the night. I have no idea what time it was. I probably should have been sleeping. And I happened to open up the, uh, I, the, 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 the window covering, and I raise it up. And off in the distance are these thunderclouds, these storm clouds. And you guys, if you've ever seen lightning from a plane off in the distance, again, it's the experience. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Because if you haven't, this isn't going to hit you the way it would hit some of you that have seen it like I have. The constant glow of those clouds with the lightning hitting. Literally, the clouds did not go dark. They were constantly illuminated because of the lightning strikes and the claps of thunder that were no doubt happening in those moments. In Revelation chapter 4, it actually talks about heaven being unending uh, claps of thunder and flashes of lightning. If you're like me, being around a thunderstorm is so cool. This is what happens when you are born and raised in Southern California. You get to be a part of a a thunderstorm. You're like, dude, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. But there's something about it that is this adrenaline rush. Before I got into ministry and a couple other things that God sent our, uh, me and my family on a wild journey. I was a, I, out of college. I was a public accountant. And I worked for a company, and one of our clients was in the Simi Valley. And uh, I'll never forget being out of town for that week. They put us up in a hotel, and uh, we, were, uh, we were doing, um, you know, auditing a particular uh, uh, organization out there. And I get into the hotel room one night, and it was a little later, and I'm getting ready to fall asleep. Have you ever been in that state where, like, you're a little delirious and you're not 100% sure what's going on and you're about to fall into sleep and then all of a sudden my bed starts to shake? And I was, I was, I was, 
I wasn't really coherent in that moment because I was on the verge of falling asleep and I was imagining somebody had broken into my hotel room and was getting ready to attack me and somehow shook my bed. And I will never forget pulling those covers back and just coming to and being like, I'm ready to fight whoever, whoever is in here. And then I realized, oh, we're having an earthquake right now. And I'd been around earthquakes long enough to know this wasn't a big earthquake. But the fact remained that my adrenaline was pumping. And this is the kind of adrenaline that I believe that our bodies will experience because we will get new bodies in heaven. That all of a sudden we'll begin to realize, man, this energy that I experience nonstop, there's no chance that we will ever get bored. There's no chance that we will ever get bored. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, Verses three, uh, uh, chapter 3, verse 11, it says this, Yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He has planted eternity in the human heart. He has planted eternity in the human heart. But even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. I love that line. God has planted eternity in the human heart. You see, even in God's vast, all-encompassing work from beginning to end, he knows, he knows you, and he longs for a relationship with you. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, it says this, Look, I stand at the door and knock, and if you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in, and we will share a meal together as friends. I bet you've heard that verse before bet you've heard that verse before, that Jesus stands at the door of your heart, and he is knocking, and he wants to know if you'll answer him, because there is a bargain that is awaiting you, that he says, I want you to take me up on this, because I long for a relationship with you so deeply and so intentionally. If you go three verses later, in Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, something miraculous happens. Remember, Jesus was standing at the door and knocking. And then look at what happens. Look at what John writes. He says this in Revelation 4, verse 1. Three verses later, he says, Then I looked, and I saw a door standing open in heaven. And the same voice I had heard before spoke to me like a trumpet blast. What are you going to do with the knocking at your heart? What are you going to do when God is knocking on the door of your heart? Are you going to answer? Are you going to open up that door? Because if you do, you'll be in eternity with God forever. And oftentimes we think that our eternity begins when we die. No, our eternity begins the moment that we say yes to Jesus. That Jesus is going there to prepare a place for you and I. And it's unfathomable. And so I want to invite anybody here out on the patio, watching online, wherever you may be tuning in, I want to invite you that if you've never said yes to Jesus, if you have never opened the door of your heart, and maybe you've felt that knocking before, maybe you have felt that pull, that nudge, 
And maybe that voice has been one that you've maybe ignored or maybe that you've sort of pushed away. But I want to let you know, just like John said, it was the same voice I had heard before, and it'll speak like a trumpet blast. God is for you. God loves you. And if you want to say yes to him, in just a moment, I'm going to pray a prayer. And I invite you to pray this prayer with me. It's a prayer that says, God, you're God, and I'm not. And I'm in need of a Savior. And if you want to say yes to him, if you feel that knocking, I'm going to invite you to pray this prayer right where you're at. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you for every single person tuning in right now. God, not by accident. You're listening to this. You're a part of this experience for a reason. And for anybody in here who wants to say yes to Jesus, maybe you've ignored him for a long time. Maybe you've Maybe you've willingly or actively just said no to him time and time again. I'm going to give you a chance to say yes to him right now. I'm going to pray a prayer, and I invite you right where you're at. Would you pray this prayer silently to yourself right where you're at? I want this moment between be between you and the Lord. Pray this. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I need you. I love you. And I thank you. Thank you for never giving up on me. Today I say yes to you. Yes, I want your love. Yes, I want the life you have for me. And yes, I want you to make me yours. So fill me with your love. And fill me with your Holy Spirit. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen for every single one of you that prayed that prayer. Way to go. We could not be more proud of you for praying that prayer. In fact, we think it's such a big deal around here that we actually invite you to tell us that you've made that decision. And so if you are watching online or you are on the patio right now, would you pull out your cell phone? I want you to pull out that cell phone right now, and I want you to text the word amen to 77247. Do it right now. Pull out that phone. In that phone number line, 77247, and then just text the word amen. And I want to let you know that one of our pastors will reach out to you. We want to celebrate with you. We want to give you some resources. We want to help you figure out what's next in this journey, but we couldn't be more excited. And what you're experiencing right now is a door has been opened, and your eternity is sealed because you've made this commitment here today. And praise God for every single one of you that made that decision. Praise God.